It's the most amazing story that has ever been told. Some time ago I read a book written by a pastor, two pastors, about being a pastor. So I know it would have little or no interest for you. But he talked about how the, the, uh, the average church or the average congregation treats your average pastor and even how many in the average community uh, would treat a pastor. And he said this, Everyone treats us so nicely. No one seems to think we mean what we say. And he adds, Are these people right? Is their way of life in no danger from us as preachers? Of course, his point is that if the Bible is accurately preached and understood, nobody's way of life is secure. God has come to us in the most radical, extreme, and revolutionary way. And God has come to us with the most radical, extreme, and revolutionary call. If you have encountered the living Christ, everything changes. Not just some things, not just on Sunday, everything changes. If you have encountered the living God, Jesus Christ is the consummate subversive. He is the quintessential insurrectionist. He fully intends, if you belong to Him, He fully intends to turn your life upside down. That's always His goal in our lives. If we've rightly understood the Word of God, it's simply not possible to continue to think and plan and hope and dream and live like the world. It's impossible. If you've met Him, if you've been born again, you can't do that anymore. It's too small. Amen? I can't live like that anymore. It's just too small for me. I have eternity and infinity in my heart. The Holy Spirit's brought it into my heart. I can't fall for the lies of the world anymore. I can't live that small anymore. Even a superficial reading of Scripture regarding the birth of Jesus reveals this radically life-altering effect God has in the lives of His people. There is, and you heard it, you heard it read in several of the, the Scripture passages we've already looked at, but you know the Christmas story. Most of you know the Gospel Christmas story very, very, very well. And you know it is full of awe. It is full of wonder. It is full of surrender. It is full of obedience. It is full of sacrifice. It is full of joy. It is full of worship. It is full of the miraculous. And without exception, there are changed hearts and changed lives. Hearts and lives are turned upside down by the fact that God has come. God has come. And nothing will ever be the same. There's that great line in Jesus of Nazareth and Matthew sitting there talking to Peter around the fire. And he says, nothing in the whole world will ever be the same. And we're the first to know. That's <laughs> what Matthew said to Peter. We're the first to know. If God's really in that manger, it affects everybody. Everybody. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. 
is implicated in this unbelievable thing that God has done. Regarding the Incarnation, I have to say this every Christmas. I love this quote. It's, I think, the best quote ever about the Incarnation. The in- Incarnation is a big word meaning God has taken on flesh, if you don't know. Charles, Charles Spurgeon, 19th century preacher, said it like this, infinite yet infant, eternal yet born, almighty yet suckled, upholding a universe yet laying in a manger. Don't you love it? You need to, I mean, you almost, you, just to think about that, it makes me want to get on my face and worship this awesome God. Love has come for me. The baby has come. Beloved, don't you dare let this Christmas go by and you not worship with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You should be on your way to hell. I should be on my way to hell. Because the baby's come. The baby's come. The baby has come. If you think about it more than two minutes, if you just think about it more than two minutes, seriously and deeply, you can't help but get on your face and worship. Two minutes. I dare you. Two minutes. Think about it. God is in a manger. I am who effortlessly spoke 400 plus billion galaxies into existence, who's lived for an eternity past, He's in a manger. Think about it for two minutes, I dare you. And see if you don't need to get on your face and worship. Renowned renowned theologian J.I. Packer said it like this, the more you think about it, the more staggering it is. Amen? The longer you think about it, the more staggering it is. And really, that's what Christianity is. It's a bunch of staggered people. We're just staggered by this truth. We're staggered by what He's done. We're staggered by who He is. We're staggered by how we've been redeemed. And man, we can't help it. We've got to go live that. We've got to go live it. Amen? Are you living it? That's the only reason He's left you here. To live it. To live the Christmas story. Live the Christmas story, beloved. That's why He's left us on the planet. If you really believe God's in a manger, how can you not fall in love with Him? How can you not give your life to Him? I just ask, how can you not? If you really believe God's in that manger and He's come to save His people, How can it not change the way you live every single day? If it doesn't change the way you live every single day, you've not yet believed the Christmas story. It's a pleasant sort of fiction maybe for you, but you've not believed it. And you are not living it. The other thing Spurgeon says, Charles Spurgeon, which I love so much, he says, real Christians are spoiled for this world. What's he saying? It's too small for us. It doesn't hold our affections. This fallen world is too small for us. Even with all of its manifold delights and pleasures, it's too small for us. Our God has come. Our God has loved us in the most amazing and remarkable way. The world's too small for me, man. It just doesn't hold my attention. It bores me, to be honest. It bores me. But Jesus doesn't. (laughs) And this awesome gospel 
It does not bore me. As I've shared with you before, it makes me think of that great opening scene in Pilgrim's Progress. You know, Evangelist tells Pilgrim, he said, man, you got that burden of sin on your back. He says, you need to go to that narrow gate. You see that narrow gate over the field? He said, go there. And Christian takes off running, right? He takes off running. And what does his family and friends come out? You know, Christian's family and friends, they come out and they, they holler at Christian, stop running! Come back! Come back and be with us! You don't have to be a fanatic. Just, you know, do some religion on Sunday. It'll be fine. Don't run headlong after God. Don't abandon all for God. Remember what Christian did? <laughs> he stuck his fingers in his ears. And he was running. And he was yelling, Life! Life! Eternal life! This world's too small for us. This world's too small. If this is true, if this is true, it's too small. If this is not true, none of this matters at all. Just go eat, drink, and be merry. But if it's true, God says live it. It's why He's left us here, beloved. It's why He's left us here. Real Christians are hopelessly staggered by the compelling beauty of Jesus and we are dead serious about knowing Him and loving Him and walking with Him and obeying Him. It's who we are. It's who we are at the core of our being. None of us are perfect at this. None of us are. We all struggle with this. The sin nature is still in us and we fight against it as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our own sanctification as I've shared with you I think just last week. But the inevitable result of believing that God is in a manger is a kind of stunned, breathless, perpetual astonishment that touches every aspect of our life. It just does. It just does. So I just want to make sure you understand me, friends. I stand here in front of you tonight and say to you on the authority of the Word of God, I am is in a manger. And every human being is implicated. Do you hear me? God is in a manger. Do you hear me? Do you believe me? Is it in your life? Can I see it in your life? Can your family see it in your life? Can your co-workers see it in your life? Can your kids see it in your life? Beloved, if it's not in your life, you've not believed it yet. Again, it's a pleasant sort of fiction, but you've not really believed it yet. If it's not in your life, you've not believed it yet. You've simply not believed it. Yet when I was in seminary, I spent one summer, yeah, a whole summer, spent the whole summer, took a special class to study the Incarnation. I was going to get to the bottom of it. And I found out that of course, every sound biblical theologian affirms the Incarnation. Yes, God has taken on flesh, but none of them understand it, right? None of them understand it. None of them can explain it. It's a mystery. It's a worship-provoking mystery. That's what it is. And you're supposed to just worship. What? That's the only reasonable response to the fact that God is in a manger and God is on His way to a cross. Worship, beloved. Worship with your life. It's not just about what you do when you come in here. It's what you do out there. That's the biggest part of your worship. Do you believe the Christmas story? Live it out there. Live it out there, beloved. That's what we're here to do. We're here to be disciples. 
We're not here to be church members. It's good to be a church member. But that's not ultimately what we're here to do. We're here to be disciples. You talk to some Christians, you say, oh yeah, I'm a member down at the church down there. Well, that's great. That's <laughs> great. God's not impressed. God is not impressed with church membership. God's impressed with discipleship. You know how I like to say it, discipleship is salvation, and salvation is discipleship. That is the New Testament. I know most of Christendom has tried to dumb it down to, simple, you know, to simply mental assent. The Bible says, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Okay, I won't go down that path. I'll stop. I'll try to stay on, on task here. God is laying in a feed trough, in a stable, in a nowhere place called Bethlehem. That fact by itself is staggering, but what infinitely compounds the awe and wonder of it is why He's there. Someone tell me why He's there. Why is God in a manger? Why is God in a manger? He's going to the cross. He's only there for one reason. He's only there for one reason. He's going to die for His people. He's the good shepherd. He's the beautiful shepherd. He lays His life down for His people. No man takes my life, Jesus says. I lay it down of my own initiative for my people. Don't, don't let Christmas be small, beloved. Don't you dare let Christmas be small. This year, remember who He is and what He's done. and You know this, I know. You and I desperately need Him to be in that manger. We need God to be there. Because if God is not in the manger, then God is not on the cross and we are still hell bound. We are still in our sin if that's not God. In a manger, if you have your Bible, you might turn with me. I want to just want to quickly go to Ephesians chapter 2 and I'm just going to make a few comments First couple of verses here in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a very familiar text. Most of you will know these verses without even looking at them. Let me read it real quick. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 1, we were dead in our sins. Verse 2, we were captive to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the little g God of this world. Verse 3, we were by nature children of wrath. We were under the wrath, the fierce wrath of God as the Bible says. What a sobering and terrifying three verses. But what does verse 4 say? Someone tell me from the text. What are the first two words in verse 4? But God. But God's in a manger. <laughs> God is in a manger. You were dead. You were captive. You were hell bound. Oh, but God. I think the two most beautiful words ever spoken in the English language. But God. But God is in a manger. And He's on His way to the cross. The analogy is both vivid and correct. We are Lazarus. 
We are Lazarus. Spiritually speaking, we are dead. If you believe what the Bible says, you are dead. Dead people do nothing. Dead people do nothing. We are Lazarus. How did Lazarus come out of the tomb? What happened? Jesus said, come. <laughs> Jesus said, come. What an awesome thing. And that's, that's a perfect analogy. A perfect analogy. God supernaturally creates life where there is no life. It's part of the Christmas story. You remember when the angel told Mary, you shall have a child. You remember what she said? How can this be? <laughs> Anybody remember what, what the angel said to her? All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. God speaks life into dead souls. It's an awesome thing. Eternal, infinite Creator God is in a manger and He's there because He's going to the cross. The groom is laying down His life for His bride. He's going to the cross that His dead people might live. That we might live. Ephesians 2.1 We were dead, but God is in a manger. Ephesians 2.2, 2, we were slaves and captives, but God is in a manger. Ephesians 2.3, we were under the wrath of God, but God is in a manger. Beloved, worship. I exhort you. Worship this holiday season. He's in that manger that He might be nailed to a cross. This is the unfathomable love of God for His people. It is unfathomable. We've said it many times. Many times when I go into the Gospels and I'm just in awe of what I read about who Jesus is. And all I can think is, let the whole created order and every being in it stand in staggered, stunned, breathless awe. I am as in the manger and I am as going to the cross, beloved. Let us not let the season go by without heartfelt worship. I just have to ask, who is a God like our God? There is, as God says, quite clearly in Isaiah, but we've seen, we've seen how this is very true in that God has come in the flesh. Isaiah says, well actually God says through the prophet, there is no God like me. And beloved, there is no God who loves like He loves. I love Christmas. It gets me really jazzed. And here's the deal. God came. He didn't send a subordinate. He didn't send an underling. He didn't send an aide. He didn't send an associate. He came. He came. He personally came and saved me from what I deserved. He came. He saved me from hell. And my God says things like this. He says, I've chosen gladly to give you every good thing. I have freely given you all things. I rejoice in doing good for you. You are co-heirs with my Son. I dare you to live it small. 
Hey, if it's small to you, just go do something else. Just go believe something else. Just profess to be something else. Because you're not a Christian. If this can be small in your heart, you've not heard it, you've not understood it. God means, for, God means to turn your world and my world upside down by what He's done in our behalf. I ask you, how can you not be staggered by this awesome God? How can these God-revealed truths not take your breath away? How can you not hopelessly love Him? How can you not live every day trusting and obeying and worshiping Him? I submit to you, if you really believe that God is in that manger, your life will be radically different from those who don't. Your life will be radically different. Everything changes. Google tells me that there are between one and two billion people on the planet who profess to believe that God is in the manger. But you can tell the vast majority of them don't really believe it. You know, the ones that come to church once or twice a year, you can tell they don't believe it. How can we tell they don't believe it? Because it's not in their life at all. It makes no difference in how they live. It makes no difference in how they plan. It makes no difference of the hope that they have. It's irrelevant. It's tangential. I don't know if I said that right. It's peripheral. Yeah, they're a little bit religious, but it's not in their life. They don't really know the, they don't understand the Christmas story. They don't believe the Christmas story. If they really believe the Christmas story, they would give themselves to Christ. Holy, completely, utterly, totally, without reservation. That's what biblical Christianity looks like. You simply can't genuinely believe the Christmas story and not be carried away by its beauty and its intimacy and its power and its glory. It can't be abstract. It can't be theoretical. It can't be academic. It can't be religious dogma. To really believe is to be completely and forever changed. And I just want to look at a few of the people in the Christmas story. I just want you to see this in the Christmas story. This is a lesson for you and I. I want you to see how the lives in the Christmas story changed. It's really a lesson for us. Our lives are supposed to change as well. You remember Mary? You heard the text read earlier, Luke chapter 1. You remember what she did when God invaded her life? Obviously, there are a lot of complications here, right? Obviously, there are a lot of complications. Can you imagine all the questions in her mind? Can you imagine? She's just like you. When God came to you and blew you up, right? <laughs> he blew you up. He turned the light on for you. There are always complications to becoming a real Christian. I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm talking about going with Jesus. There are always complications. And can you imagine what Mary was thinking? Man, there's some serious problems here. I'm a virgin, and I'm going to have a baby. This is serious. This is serious. 
But do you remember what she said? She called herself the bond slave of God. What is that? What is a bond slave? Anybody know? A slave by desire. I desire to be your slave. It's someone who attaches themselves to a master. She referred to herself as bond slave. And then she said, Be it done to me according to your word. Beloved, let that be your prayer every day. Let that be your prayer every day. Be it done to me according to your word, great God. I love this text. This thing was fraught with peril. She says, be it done to me according to your great word. According to your word. It's what what real faith looks like. It changes the life. It turns the life upside down. It's always what real faith looks like. It even destroys old ways of life. What about Joseph? God came to Joseph. Can you imagine all the questions in his mind? There are a lot of problems here. There are a lot of complications here. Can you imagine the uncertainty and worry and anxiety that would flood into his heart? But you've got to love what Joseph does. Matthew 1.24, He did all that the Lord commanded. Amen? Let that be your prayer. Let that be your life. Do all that the Lord has commanded in your life. I know none of us do it perfectly. But when we don't do it perfectly, we come and we confess our sin and He's faithful and just to forgive us. And grace reigns down. Grace reigns down. It's what real, genuine, authentic, born-again faith looks like. It's life-altering obedience, even when it's complicated, even when it's uncertain. How about the shepherds? you remember what they did when God came to them in Luke chapter 2? They didn't stand around talking about it. Anybody remember what they did? They went straight to Jesus. If you read the text there, it said they made haste and they went on their way giving testimony and glorifying and praising God. Let that be your daily walk, beloved. Testifying and giving glory and praise to God, that's what it looks like when you get the Christmas story. (laughs) That's what it looks like when you understand it and when you believe it. You can't be lukewarm about it. If you really believe I am in a manger, you cannot be lukewarm about it. This is why Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, man, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He's a white-hot God. And His people are to be white-hot after Him. I push you guys a lot, don't I? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving you the best way I know how. God pushes me. Man, I get in my little office there and He just pushes me all over the place. Man, He's always in my face. And I love it. I love it. And this is the best way I know how to love you. Is to challenge you. Down to your socks. Go with God. Go with God. Love God. They can't be lukewarm, man. They go straight to Jesus. It's what real Christians do. It's this life-altering pursuit and commitment to Jesus Christ. You remember the Magi. God revealed Himself to them. These guys traveled, I estimated, I don't really know for sure, 800 to 1,000 kilometers. This was no small thing in that day. This is no small thing. But they would not be deterred. They had one thing in their mind, to worship this King. Let that be the ambiance of your daily life. Worship the King. 
worship the King. The Bible says as they came, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I had a young person ask me just tonight, how do we find what God has for us? You know the answer, don't you? Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll bring your life to you, the life He designed for you, the life He dreamed for you, the life He expects you to live. He'll bring it to you as you delight yourself in the Lord and you obey Him in all the small things in your life. And when you, when you fail to obey, you come to Him and you confess your sin and He's faithful and just to forgive us. And then we get back up and we start again. Following the Lord. Joy has always been the hallmark of genuinely coming to Christ. Matthew 13.44 You remember what the, the angel said to the shepherds, we bring you good news of great joy. If you don't have the joy, you've not understood it. You don't understand the Christmas story. If you don't have this perpetual joy welling up in your heart, even on the day that you must cry, it's all about the joy that God brings. You remember these guys, when they got to God, they fell down and they worshipped Him. It was unrestrained. and They made offerings of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It was extravagant. This is what authentic faith looks like. It's unrestrained in its worship and it's extravagant in its giving. It's how Christians live. It's how they worship. It's how they give. The Christmas story, as you know, is preeminently about the Word becoming flesh. It's about the incarnation of the Son. Jesus taking on flesh. That's what incarnation means. But I hope that you will see and understand that the Christmas story is about another kind of incarnation too. Yes, Jesus took on flesh and He became a man. But it, the Christmas story is about another kind of incarnation. It's about you incarnating the Word of God. That's what's implied in the Gospel story, in the Christmas story. It's not simply that God has taken on flesh. It's that you will do the Word out in the world. We know what James 1.22 says. Be what? Be hearers of the Word. Be readers of the Word. Be meditators on the Word. No. What does God say? Do it! <laughs> Be a doer of the Word. That's the kind of incarnation God expects to flow out of your life. He came for you and me. Unbelievable God took on flesh. It's an unbelievable thing. It's a mystery. We'll never grow weary of worshiping, worshiping Him for this. But the implication of the Christmas story is that you will incarnate the Word. You will do the Word. The Christmas story is about the Word becoming flesh in Jesus, and it's also about the Word becoming flesh in us. Sometimes I hear people say, you've heard me say this before, wow, that guy was radically converted. Have you ever heard this? Wow! That guy was radically converted. Beloved, that's the only kind there is. If it's not a radical conversion, it's not a conversion. It's somebody becoming a church member. If you understand the Christmas story, <laughs> it's radical. It will change your life. It will change your 
life. God says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I go back to what Eugene Peterson said in that book. That's why every time I preach, your way of life is in danger. <laughs> my way of life is in danger. Man, I sit behind my desk and I study it. The Lord's just, boom! Jim, we've got to take care of this, man. This is no good. That's not good. Get that out of your life. We talked about that some last week. Just look at the pages of the New Testament. Just very quickly, I'll give you a few examples. Matthew, James, John, and Andrew, they left their careers. Life-altering faith. Life-altering repentance. Zacchaeus refunded four times what he defrauded. Life-altering trust. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water. Life-altering ministry. Paul persecuted at every turn. Continued to plant churches among the Gentiles. Life-altering giving. Those crazy Macedonians gave from their deep poverty. Life-altering obedience as Stephen was martyred for his preaching. Life-altering worship as Mary Bethany broke the vow a year's wages as she worshiped the Lord. Beloved, this is what it, these stories are in here for you and I to understand what it means to understand the Christmas story and what it looks like. We see it in Mary's life. We see it in Joseph's life. We see it in the shepherd's life. We see it in the Magi's life. It all changed and it's, you know, it's spilled out in their life, right? We've been, we talk about that a lot. It's, if it's real, it spills out. It just it spills out. I know I've shared this with you before. John MacArthur tells a story when he was a young, a young seminary student. He went to hear some Scottish preacher. He didn't, he didn't name him. It was a fiery Scot, right? And he really, he really gave it to him, man. He was really giving him the word. And MacArthur was really impressed. MacArthur went up to him and said, man, that was great. And the guy looked him right in the eye and just screamed at him. He said, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Some of you have heard me tell that story before. And if you ever compliment me, that's what I'm going to say to you. <laughs> if you compliment me on the message, I'm going to say, what are you going to do about it? MacArthur was really taken aback at first. But he realized this man was loving him. He was saying, go do it. That's how I love you. That's the best way I can love you. Is when you come in here every week, go do it. Just go do it. You know, I say it to you all the time. I say it to you all the time. So, what are you doing with the Christmas story? Do you really believe it? Do you believe that God has come in the flesh? Do you believe that God is in a manger? Let me ask you, how is it real in your life? How does it manifest itself in your life? God says the Word was made flesh, and then God says, my children flesh out the Word. This is the implication of the Christmas story. Lives that incarnate and embody and manifest the Word of God. Life-altering, risk-taking faith like Mary. Life-altering, never-look-back obedience like Joseph. Life-altering, unqualified pursuit of Jesus Christ like the shepherds. And life-altering, extravagant worship like the Magi. So beloved, what have you done and what will you do with the Christmas story? If you say you believe it, how can you live like the world? I think it's an oxymoron. And my challenge for you is to have the best Christmas that you have ever had. 
And I think that might start for many, if not most, if not all of us to get on our face and worship anew and rejoice anew at this awesome story, this breathtaking story that God has come for us, God has loved us, God has redeemed us. I would be the worst kind of pastor if I, if I, sit, if I stood here and preached the Christmas story and I didn't challenge you to get radically real with God. It would be ministerial malpractice. If I didn't challenge you, after thinking deeply about this incarnation, the fact that God's in a manger, God's going to the cross. You know, if I preached that and I didn't challenge you, you know, I should just go sell used cars or something, right? I mean, you got to live it, beloved. you got to live it. You're not here for any other reason principally. Your principal reason to still be walking the planet is to be His disciple. So I challenge you. I challenge you. Let, let this Christmas be real in your life. Afresh and anew. Maybe in a way it never has been before. In your marriage, in your singleness, in your career, in your studies, in your money, in your church. Let the Christmas story be in all those things. Let it be seen. Let it be conspicuous in your life. Do you really believe God's in a manger? I leave you with this. What are you doing about it? How is it visible in your life? How is it visible in your life to everyone in your orbit that you believe the Christmas story? You believe God's in a manger. You believe God's on the cross. You believe God's in the tomb. You believe He came out. And you believe He's coming back to receive His people unto Himself. And it's the core of your life. It's not peripheral. It's the core of your life. It's who you are. First and foremost, you are His. And you love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Beloved, what are you doing with the Christmas story? Let's pray together. A baby has come. A baby has come. Forgive us, Father, that we allow this to become dogma doctrine, theology, a seasonal habit. Forgive us, Lord. This is the most awesome thing that has ever happened. Forgive us, Lord, that we don't rightly meditate on this and that we don't, from that meditation, simply fall on our face and worship. How can we not worship? How can we not be in awe? How can we not be filled with wonder? How can we not be filled with joy? Our groom has come for us. And He's redeemed us. And no one or nothing can change it. We are Yours. And Yours forever. Oh Lord, I pray that You would give us a burden to live this and to speak this in the world. I pray that we would be like that. 
Thank You, Lord Jesus, for coming for us. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You are risen and at the right hand of God. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You're returning. Who is a God like our God? There is no God like our God. All praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.